Osiris. Hey guys, it's Brian here from Beyond the Pond. I just wanted to tell you guys about another podcast in the larger Osiris podcast network that I've been loving. That is Southern Songs and Stories. Uh, so Southern Songs and Stories is hosted by Joe Kendrick, who is the DJ and Director of Programming and Operations at WNCW in uh, North Carolina. The show basically takes a general focus on the music of Appalachia, but really tries to focus heavily from artist interviews and live performances and live reports from festivals in the region on how this music is shifting and how it's changing. Um, Joe is a veteran of the uh, radio world, and he uh, has been running Southern Songs and Stories since late 2014. A few episodes of note that I think are uh, worth your time. There was a recent one on this band, Town Mountain, which highlights their bluegrass roots while also showcasing their rock influences and the ultimate dexterity of their sound. He also has an episode from fall uh, 2018, the number of prominent female musicians from the Appalachian region, um, showcasing the challenges that they face, breaking out not just in larger country music, but in their communities as well. Um, and he also has this really great episode about the uh, group Teleco. A few episodes about them throughout the overall series um, that tracks their development, while also comments on their experience as being non-Appalachian artists in Appalachia. Uh, probably the episode that drew me in was a three-part series about the Green Acres Music Hall in Western North Carolina which tracked its origins, the artists who frequent it, and the final years of it as a source of cultural output in the region. Um, I love Southern Songs and Stories. I listen to this a lot when I'm walking my dog in the morning. It's a very calming podcast. It really gives you this in-depth historical analysis of what it's like to make music and where music's come from within Appalachia. Um, but it's Joe's curiosity and his appreciation of music from outside of the region that really drives the podcast because much of the focus of it is on where these artists are taking Appalachian music and Southern music, what this says about the culture as it develops. So I find it super fascinating on a number of levels. I know that um, uh, if you guys have enjoyed some of our episodes, uh, episode 16 with John Hart, where we focused on bluegrass music immediately comes to mind, um, but also just a lot of the focus that we've done on uh, say Hisco the Messenger or you know any real traditional singer songwriter in America, I think that you would absolutely love this episode. So so check out Southern Songs and Stories uh, from the Osiris Podcast Network, hosted by Joe Kendrick. folks i'm david goldstein i am brian brinkman you are tuned in to episode 62 of the beyond the pond podcast 
This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. They only listen to their favorite Fish tapes, only spend time on Fishnet, only read the Fish Companion, no matter how excellent a resource that is. And frankly, this makes them kind of dull because there are a shit ton of other bands out there that are worth your time. Absolutely. And tonight, we are diving deep into one of those bands that is very much worth your time. A band that both Dave and I were told by multiple people, what in the hell are you doing not listening to this band? And we are very excited to share it with you guys. We are assuming a lot of you are fans of said band as well. But we're hoping that uh, we're going to get some converts out of this. Um, We are talking about one of our favorite bands, a band that was a requirement for us to both like to start this podcast and that we featured many times before. It is not the war on drugs. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is Yola Tango. Yes, it is very much Yola Tango. And to help us through with the discussion, we have a special guest. We've wanted to get on the podcast for some time, talking about our good friend, Jesse Jarnow. Now, you may know Jesse Jarnow just from um, his various writing through At the Fish and Grateful Dead Universes. But also, he's uh, an author, and the first book that he wrote was about Yola Tango. It's an excellent book called Big Day Coming, Yola Tango, and the Rise of Indie Rock. And after that, he wrote a book called Heads, which is all about basically the psychedelic scene and the various characters growing up. And most recently, he he put out a book about the Blacklist called Wasn't That a Time? The Weavers, the Blacklist, and the Battle for the Soul of America. I have yet to read that one. It is on my shelf. I am sure it is wonderful. And certainly, having written a book about them and having seen them numerous times, Jesse loves talking about Yola Tango. Absolutely. And this is a really great episode for us. I mean, I, I, I tie this in some ways to our episode we recorded with Rob Mitchum, where I felt like I was just getting a total history lesson and uh, just total insight into a musical universe that I love, but that there's always so much to learn about. And there were times where I felt like I just sat back and listened to Jesse describe the band and describe his story with Yola Tango and um we cover a ton of ground in terms of uh, Yola Tango's history, what they kind of overall sound is like, and the kind of uh, mosaic of, of experimentation that they have gone through on a recording standpoint and a musical standpoint. Um, a lot of the guests that they've played with, the live shows, there's a ton in here. And um, for anyone who's a fan of our show, you know, if you aren't listening to Jesse's show on WFMU, The Frau Show, which is on Mondays from midnight to 3 a.m., uh, streams on the WFMU app, I cannot recommend it enough. There's so much music on there that I've discovered that I've really fallen in love with based solely on that show. Um, and Jesse also uh, has a podcast in the Osiris Podcast Network that is. Um, on a bit of a hiatus, we're hoping that it returns here in 2019, uh, called Alternate Roots. The sole focus of that was 
music that you cannot find on uh, major streaming services. And similar to his radio show, just a ton of music on there that I discovered throughout the fall of last year that uh, really kind of became the soundtrack for me. So uh, really, really great stuff from Jesse. He's a really thoughtful, insightful guy. Um, this was just a ton of fun. And I felt just like a music nerd, you know, just like listening to him, like talk. It was, it was I, I feel like I should have, uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I was just like sitting back listening to a podcast that happens to be ours. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. One of the things we touch on about this band is uh, much like fish that you can enjoy them at a surface level, but if you want to go deep, you can absolutely go Mariana's Trench. There are tons of records, tons of live shows and tapes on the internet and otherwise. There are many legendary runs and shows and guests. I mean, the Ola Tango, they're really just vinyl nerds, incredibly knowledgeable music fans, and they use their live shows as a way to uh, distribute this knowledge back to their fan base. So I had a great time with this conversation. I think uh, you will very much enjoy it as well. And I think on that note, let's get to the Yola Tango. So I, I guess, you know, so I, I, my freshman year of college was, was the, the fall of 1997. Uh, obviously there were some things going on in, in, in fish world at that point. Uh, it took me, <laughs> you know, I probably got, um, I can hear the heart beating as one, um, on tape at some point in college. Um, but I, and, and then by the time I graduated, probably I maybe had, and then nothing turned itself inside out. But I, I the Yola Tango, did, they, they, I didn't connect with me for some reason at that point. Like, I, you know, I knew who they were, but they were kind of, even though I had those albums, they still just felt like a, like an indie rock band to me, just like a, just a, a mm. rock band. And then I was on this road trip with a, a really dear friend of mine. Um, we, we, we drove, we drove cross country, um, and he played a uh, green arrow for me uh, from, from I can hear the art beating as one. I, I clearly did not know the album that well. If, you know, if, if, um, and it, you know, it was in the middle of the desert in the middle of the night. And it was just this quiet instrumental song that, that resonated really hard for me at that, at that moment that it was, you know, it wasn't like hard, It wasn't rock and roll. It wasn't treading. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't songwriting in, in the sense that we think of songwriting, you know, with like, you know, vocals and melody and st vocals and lyrics. Um, but it was just this gorgeous little piece of like almost ambient music. And um, th that was, that was kind of what opened the door for me in, in a, in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. 
This was also sort of right at the end of college, like right when I was moving to New York. And moving to New York, the Yola Tango were just playing like all the time, um, or what seemed like all the time, you know, every two or three months or every four months or something. Um, And it took me like a, you know, maybe like a year in New York to kind of fall into that groove. But I had a roommate who was... um, who was a, a big Yola Tango fan. And we lived in a, in a loft where, you know, only one person could really listen to music at the, you know, at a time. So that they just became the soundtrack for, you know, my first, you know, few, few years in New York. And so I started going and seeing them and it, it, it was like over the course of 2002, I saw them. It was really only, I think three times, but every show was just completely different from, from, the previous in a way that made that, that just got me on, on the bus in a way. It's like, I'm just going to go see this band every time I can. Um, and the, the first one of those shows was, uh, uh, the sounds of science at, um, at Lincoln mm-hmm. center. And I think that was the, the, like the New York debut of it, um, which was their It's their underwater, um, their, their, um, soundtrack for underwater documentaries by, by a French filmmaker, uh, Jean Penlevé. And it's just, gorgeous watery psychedelic trippy music you know that's not necessarily improvised though there are parts of it that are, that are improvised but it was just so open and 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 flowing and and out that it that i just fell head over heels for it and just listened to that the album like you know they were selling the soundtrack um at the show and I just listened to it like every single day for the next however you know six months or something and that was that was what made me a Yola Tango head was sort of going from Green Arrow and you know and realizing that they weren't just this rock band that they you know had all these other sides to them to this you know these underwater you know documentary scores and it it, it blew my mind and it, and it and it still does so that was that was that was where I started
I saw that in, um, I saw that in 2005, I want to say. It was also at Lincoln Center. Same thing, probably like the same room, like the Jazz at Lincoln Center room. And I remember sitting two rows behind David Byrne with his big shock of white hair. And I figured, okay, David Byrne's here, then I must be doing something right. Right. So, good good segue, man. Uh, so, my next, you know, the... My my three all tango shows that first year. So the first one was that the underwater underwater stuff, and then they played Prospect Park uh, over the summer in two thousand two, um, where they did a mix of older stuff. They debuted a bunch of songs for what would become Summer Sun. Um, they played one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the sounds of the sounds of science songs. Uh, they did a monkeys cover, which which connected pretty deep with me. And, and you know, at this point, like I knew a, a few of the albums, but it was like really, um, it was still really. I didn't know most of the songs that they when I was seeing them live. It would just be like, oh, I like this one. Oh yeah, this is cool. That kind of thing. And then they would, play, you know, occasionally play covers I knew or didn't know <laughs> more often. Uh, that that was the first time I I think I probably heard Nuclear War. Uh, was was it that was it that show? Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And then, so then, then the third show I saw that year was, was my first Hanukkah show at Maxwell's. Um, wasn't my first time at Maxwell's, I don't think, but it was just, you know, seeing them in this tiny little room, um, you know, their, their home base. I, it was where they played their, their first show, though. I, I don't think I probably knew that yet at the time and go, you know, playing some songs I knew, a lot of songs I didn't know. And with this, you know, amazing arc to the set, like I, they, I'm, I think they did like um, Mushroom Cloud of Hiss, which is, you know, big, big noisy thing. And then I think it went into, you know, one of the really quiet songs from, from um, and then nothing turned itself inside out. But then the, the, the thing, this is where it ties back, is that I was, you know, I went, with my my roommate Christy, who is the other big that big Yolotengo fan I mentioned, and she sort of turns to me before the encore and says, kind of trying to trying to be cool. I think David Byrne is standing next to you, <laughs> and I kind of like <laughs> eye to my side and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, David Byrne's standing next to me. And then the next thing I know, he like steps up on stage and you know plays. It was like a six or seven song encore with Yolotengo, and not any really of the, the songs you would expect somebody of da- like David Byrne to be playing when he's sitting in with like a, you know, a, 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 relatively speaking, a younger band, you know, they, they played pulled up from, from talking heads, uh, 77. They played love comes in spurts by Richard hell. Uh, they did, a, they did the man who loved beer by lamb chop, which, which, uh, I can't, I, can't remember the sequence if the, if that was on the David Byrne album before or after that. Uh, they did "Tears Are in Your Eyes" with David Byrne singing this like crazy harmony. It was it was just this like really amazing thing to not. To, it was you know David Byrne sitting in, and it wasn't just like you know swinging in to to sing the hits. He was like he was actively participating in what was going on and it you know it wasn't it wasn't like guest star karaoke and it was it, the whole it just the whole thing grabbed me in a way that that it was it just you know i think the next they they took a year off from hanukkah and the next time after that i was just like off to the races i think i went to like five of the eight the year the next time and then tried to go to every everyone since <laughs> I've never been lucky enough to get to one of the Hanukkah shows, but I remember 
<clears throat> the first time I heard about Yolatanga was because of the Hanukkah shows and the idea of like this residency that happens in mid-December and, you know, mm-hmm. the whole holiday season around it. And, you know, the idea that they're playing these eight shows that really kind of rotate in terms of what their sound is and what they're capable of playing plus guests was always something that blew me away. That was like the first, that was like the first little entry point for me. For for me, the 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 way I got turned on to them was someone was like, "You love Wilco, you love Fish. Why are you not listening to Yola Tango?" And I had no good answer. Um, <laughs> and they passed me, and then nothing turns itself inside out. And I was at a point where I was obsessed with Brian Eno, and so that record is sounds like it was recorded at between two and four o'clock in the morning. It's very hushed. It's very quiet. Right. And similar to what you've been saying, like I'd always kind of thought of them as just a lo-fi indie rock band. That was just like the image I had in my head. I had nothing to back it up, but that was just kind of what I thought when I heard their name, when I heard what they were associated with. I remember putting that on and being like, A, I'm insanely wrong. And I should stop assuming things by a band's (laughs) name. But more importantly, holy crap, there's a complete new universe of music that I need to check out. And it never really stopped from there. Right, right, right. And, and you know, it's a different kind of terrain than, you know, the dead or fish or something totally. like that, where it's, you know, for me, like it's a lot of it really is kind of exploring the studio stuff and the, 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 the catalog because, and, and it's sprawling and it's, you know, they have however many albums from, you know, starting in 1986, but also, like this just total array of, of single, you know, singles and EPs and like one-off appearances on, you know, compilations and like, you know, like a half an hour improvisation that's on like, you know, this thing. And it's, 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 there's, it really is like a universe to, to sort of pull those together. And it was definitely like, Oh yeah, I, I know how to do this, how to, how to <laughs> collect music from different places. And, and, but it was it was just such a joy to like it, it was such a treat to find all these different things like you know I, we were, uh, one of the things we were emailing about that uh, their cover of by the time it gets dark that whole that whole the little Honda EP is amazing it's got like um, you know no uh, no return by uh, is that the urinals is that the one the urinal yeah it's just like these the covers just go deeper and deeper so it's like it's not it's it's also learning about sort of a, the, the broader musical universe that Yola Tango kind of are situated in, you know? So it's, there, there's definitely the musical education aspect to it as well was, was a big, that was a big part of it for me. By the time it gets dark, it's a Sandy Denny's song, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, and just... Baby, every cloud has a silver lining. Baby, every dog really has its day And it matters to me to see you smiling Why don't we blow all your cares away? Yesterday's gone and will be forgotten And today is where every new day starts Got to be Maybe by the evening we'll be laughing. 
cover a lot of Richard Linda Thompson, Sandy Denny, like Fairport Convention era stuff. I know I, one time I saw them, George is saying a cover of uh, the Richard Linda Thompson song for shame of doing wrong. Oh yeah. I think I it's that the, it drips down like silver album. Um, that was just, and it was done in the style of the album and nothing turned itself inside out. So it was kind of like a sinister version of what's already a pretty much of like a kiss off song to begin with. Mm-hmm. So that was extremely cool. But just um, getting back to how I got into this band, I actually, I think I may have told the story podcast before in the past. So if I'm repeating myself, BTP listeners, I'm sorry, but it's appropriate here is that I started dating my then girlfriend, now wife in August of 2004. And I think on like a third or fourth date, I got to see all of her CDs. And there was a lot of Yola Tango records and, Kind of like you, Jesse, they were a band that um, I was familiar with in college. I think we actually, our freshman years were both in uh, started in September 1997. So I was familiar with the band. I had heard some singles. I had seen the videos for uh, Tom Courtenay on 120 Minutes and also uh, with the video for Sugar Cube where everyone goes to rock school, which I would highly recommend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the Mr. Show yes, guys. Totally. Exactly. Yola Tango, they're a funny band. They like playing with comedians and made some extremely funny videos. So I had some familiarity with the band, but I had never had done the deep dive. And I just told her, yeah, this is a band that I know of and like, but I've never really heard I can hear the heart beating as one. And then she just said, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> okay we're gonna listen to her so reader i marry her <laughs> like, we're gonna listen to this album i'm gonna put it on and we're not gonna talk about it until it's over I said, okay nice and then when it was over i said where has this band been all my life <laughs> yeah i mean that's definitely a feeling i got when i found them and i you know i was around you know it's like i was seeing shows in new york for a lot of their, you know, their prime eras that I just, you know, just, I wasn't cool enough to know about them yet. Um, but <laughs> I tried to make up for lost time once I, once I figured out what I was missing, <laughs> basically. Exactly. And then our first show together was a Hanukkah show in 2004, where I think the opening act was the Shags. And that was the show where the, Ira's or the, oh, oh, the pubes. <laughs> the pubes, <laughs> the pubes yeah. were the opening. Yeah, that was, oh yeah, Max's band. That was, that was something. <laughs> yeah, they had a song called God is Dead. And then Ira from Yola Tango was like, well, 
this is a Hanukkah show, so we're not certain that God is dead, but <laughs> if the pews feel that way, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the you know, discovering the Hanukkah thing was, was just, you know, it was, it was, it's such the, the shows, especially at Maxwell's and they, it's managed to transfer to the Bowery ballroom, but there's just this intimacy to them that I, um, hadn't even really known I'd been missing. Um, you know, seeing, you know, that, you know, obviously saw my, my, my share of fish shows and those are, those are, you know, stadium sized events that that's sort of the, the scale of that band and kind of, you know, framing it on, on fish terms, you know, it was as if they went and played a, you know, eight shows at Nectar's once a year or something like that, except it wasn't, it wasn't like a mob scene. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, obviously no, no nitrous mafia or anything outside, but you know, it was, you know, it wasn't people lining up down the block at, you know, at, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. It was very, very, very chill. And I really like that. And that, and that's sort of, you know, they rock really hard. That's certainly, you know, getting loud and noisy and abrasive is, you know, a huge, is a huge and important part of Yola Tango. But just the sort of the, the, the quiet um, scale that they, that they work at is just so it's continuously shocking to me that they're able to play that quietly live. Um, one of my, for, I remember seeing them at the Bowery ballroom, uh, I guess the summer, it was the summer sun era, uh, 2003. And um, just, you know, somebody like stepped on a plastic cup and it was just like the loudest noise. And it was like, ah, what is that? And it was just somebody stepping on a cup and it was just so quiet in there that it, that it, you know, amplified itself. Um, it is one but, of the most respectful crowds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, extremely reverent crowd. You can certainly hear a pin drop at a recent show. There was a couple behind us having a conversation during a quiet song. I actually turned around. I whispered, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he apologized and said, you're right. I'm talking during that beautiful song. I'm so sorry. Well, I think it, I think it <laughs> yeah, speaks no, to it's... your point, Jesse, of you know their, their ability to do smaller, intimate shows, and like the comparison between them in terms of their crowd size and fish is like Trey always says how he feels like, you know, he's so fortunate that he has this fan base that's really receptive and allows him to be creative. And I think a lot of that's really true. But I think there's always been a thought from my end that Yolo Tango is like the, they're kind of at the perfect place for any band in that they're big enough that they can kind of do whatever they want musically and they can put on a show and they know that they're going to draw a crowd. They know that they're going to be able to um, make a living off of that. But they're able to do it on a really small scale that it feels like a lot of close friends when they're playing together and they're able to kind of balance yeah. between that, that there's no way fish could play a show like that right now. Um, unless they went to a completely out of market city, <laughs> you know, like they'd have to go to like Vancouver or like, I don't know, somewhere like in, in Canada to play a show like that where it'd be too far for people to just like travel to. Dude, they play one of the Iceland, Iceland or something. Vancouver. Come on. It's the Vancouver tweezer. The Vancouver Tweezer. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, yeah, they would have to go. I feel feel like they'd have to go to another continent yes. entirely to 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 pull that off. Um, but yeah, no, that 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 is that that's it's a thing. It's you know, and part of that is it, it's kind of 
baked in maybe to sort of who Yola Tango are and, and you know, maybe also maybe maybe who Fish are, but Yola Tango was very, very slow, you know, to build to build their career. They started, you know, at the same time as Fish, basically. Right. You know, the end end of End of 1984 is when the first shows as Fish happen and the first shows as Yola, or I guess the, the Blackwood Convention 83, Fish yeah. 84, yeah. whatever. But yeah, but basically, you know, coming coming up at the same time and, you know, Yola Tango are very patient and, you know, we're, we're you know, kind of gun shy. You know, Ira is, is, is an amazing guitar player, but for the first literally the first few years of the band he did not solo he was not he just didn't feel like he was good enough um and they always had a second guitar player um up you know up for for the first few years until finally there was some show where like they couldn't they couldn't get one and he just sort of did it and he was like oh okay sure i can do that um and georgia who's you know her voice is App, you know, really one, you know, one of the reasons to listen to Yola Tango, you know, her drumming too, for that matter. But, but, um, her, her, say she didn't sing for the first few years, really. You know, she said it would sing backup occasionally, but she was not, she was, she just wasn't comfortable doing it. And eventually she, she, she got comfortable. They, they, they just really took a long time to, to, to bloom. You know, it, it took, you know, James, James, who's the, the third member is really, you know the glue that that kind of animates them in a lot in a lot of ways to really terribly mix metaphors. But um, do you think part of that is personally like who they are is like like personality wise? Like I always think of um, you know like Trey's personality. And I don't I don't want to keep bringing it back to the two of them, but like obviously you know there's there's some cor- certain correlations. But like Trey's personality almost like couldn't get big enough uh, quick enough. Uh, you know he couldn't get like as much exposure as fast as possible. He just like had so many ambitions. I've always kind of thought of Yola Tango as a little bit more of a personal band in that standpoint. Like, do you think personality wise, it took them a while to like bloom into uh, like full creative development? Or do you think it was the sound that they were playing in? Like where, where do you stand on that? I, you know, I I think it's, I think it is personality wise. I think it's that they, I mean, and you know, they're um, Ira and Georgia are not, virtuosos the way the guys right. in in fish are you know they definitely did not spend their teenage years locked up in their bedrooms learning to play their instruments um uh um so i you know and i think that is that is you know a, a very very much a personality thing um with them but it's you know they they they, they really have like learned to be themselves and kind of this very right profoundly inspiring way that i feel like is you know they 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 are rock stars but they don't always feel you know it doesn't feel like that a lot of it's it's this funny balance to walk and it's 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 amazing that they that they've that they've done that i think also relative you know i was gonna say relative to fish where certainly like trey was in high school listening to yes albums and listen to prog rock and Genesis and all this stuff that was kind of considered, you know, like dinosaur, like classic rock bands. Yola Tango kind of came up in Hoboken in the early eighties, like in the underground where they were like contemporaries with the feelies and, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Though, you know, though Ira grew up very much in this, you know, in the seventies on, true. on the same classic rock 
diet and he, and he was, you know, he was, you know, I guess, you know, his favorite band was the Kinks growing up. That mm. was, that was the band that he would go see live and would, you know, tape them, you know, going to see them live and, you know, keep track of set lists and stuff. Um, but, you know, Ira was a, you know, he was a music obsessive. He was a music journalist before, before he was in a band. Um, and to, to, to sort of loop back is that, you know, those, those early Yola Tango records, um, are very much indie rock records. They're, you know, guitar, bass, drums, trio. But there's having now kind of like absorbed their their later stuff, like those new the older records sound a lot going back to them sound and feel a lot more creative to me than they did the first time maybe I, I listened to them. Like I feel like there there's there's a lot more going on in, in song. I guess like the, the story of jazz is like a, a song that I really like. That's like, Oh, there's nothing really out. They didn't really ever write anything else like this song. It's like kind of its own shape and its own, its own, you know, there's like a little bit of a first person narrative in a way that, that Ira doesn't do very often, you know, and it's like all the songs are kind of like, you really do see them. And that that is actually like a, a, a way to, to, to look at the next to fish where sometimes you do see fish it's like, Oh yeah. Trey's trying to like write a Calypso song there, or he's, you know, right. doing, you know, do, do like an atonal jazz swing thing there. You kind of, you can sometimes look at, at Yola Tango songs and see them sort of experimenting with forms. It's like, Oh, okay. They're working on like a three part harmony thing, you know, a quiet three part harmony thing here, or they're, you know, here's a song that's, you know, like they're, this has like an extended space out, you know, it's, you do see things developing like little, you know, themes and motifs and like voices kind of within, within Yola Tango that, that, that took, like I said, you know, you know, a lot longer to bloom, but now they've got, you know, these different threads where you've got like, you know, Ira guitar jam outs, you've got kind of like ambient space electronic, stuff sometimes with drum machines whatever you know they've got quiet songs that georgia sings they've got quiet songs that james sings you know they've got jangle pop songs and you can kind of like just keep going down that list but there's just this diversity in it that's that's fascinating to me as well it's definitely not monochromatic um that was definitely a big a big thing that sold me on them was when i the first album i heard was um and then nothing turns itself inside out. And then I went to uh, Fake Book. And then I went to I Can Hear the Heartbeat as one. And I was like, these three records like could be six different bands. You know, and, and, and it was <laughs> right. this idea, like like you're saying, that there was like even in and then nothing turns itself inside out, like that's a really uh like sonically, that's a very um quiet. There's the, it's a very quiet album, but like it's 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 got a it's got like a total message and like meaning behind it in terms of like what they're going like they're going for an actual sound there. Whereas I've always found that uh, I can hear the heartbeating as one is more of like a mosaic of hey here's a bit of this here's a bit of that, um, mm. and in listening to them, even in and then nothing turns itself inside out. I always feel like there's range in the songs if you listen to them over and over and over again you know it, it has that um if you listen to like fish from like the japan tour of 2000 where there's a lot of ambient music and a lot of like spacey music that's happening within there 
if you listen to those jams a couple of different times, you start to hear like the layers. And I feel like that with, and then nothing turns itself inside out where it's mm-hmm. a bit more mm-hmm. upfront with an album. Like I can hear the, I can, I can feel the heart beating as one. I can hear that as one.
I mean, definitely. I mean, that's you know one thing that, that that's happened with them is they've gotten way more textural over the years as they've gotten more comfortable in the studio. Um, and the last, you know, the last Yola Tango record, uh, "There's a Riot Going On," is is their maybe their weirdest yet in a lot of ways, like studio wise. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, James uh, basically you know produced it and put it together out of a bunch of years of, of songs and sessions at their at their at their practice space. Um, and they, you know, that is, it's, it's, it, it's a cliche to, you know, say that, Oh yeah, they're making the best music, you know, they're 30 years or however many years in and making the best music of their career. But I really legitimately believe that it's like, you know, I mean, I don't want to like get into like ranking albums as this or that is better than the other, but like they're, whenever Yola Tango puts out a new record, I am like, so amped for it and it just never lets me down in terms of them finding some new way to be Yola Tango but you know that's like surprising but also still them yeah it's almost the fact that they've been around for 36 and then the found that the fact that they've been around for 36 years and if even irrespective if it's their best album I mean all of their last few albums have been really good and really interesting right so in terms of yeah. bands that Usually at 36 years, you're still around, you're playing the oldie circuit, like you're playing Jumpin' Jack Flash on stage at the stadium. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, you put, you, you like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like in rock and roll years, you know, a tango are, are, are pretty eternally youthful uh, by, by that standard. And, and I, you know, one thing that I really like, love about them and, and deeply admire about them and something, you know, that I wouldn't have, you know, really even known had I not gotten the, you know, chance to, to write about them so much is just how often that they play like as a band is that they practice basic, you know, they take, they take vacations, but when they're not touring they're they go to their practice space pretty much every day and work yeah. on something, you know, whether it's like, you know, they do a lot of movie soundtrack stuff that, that, you know, even I don't necessarily like, track get to track down in here all the time or you know they're just always doing things and they're always active as a band so it's not like it's like oh it's time to tour again we're gonna like meet up at the practice space and like you know figure out what songs we're gonna learn or relearn for this tour it's just that they've literally stayed active without more than a few months off here or there basically since 1980 four <laughs> and kind of earlier than that really because they they were sort of in other bands georgia and ira kind of had sort of other projects that were going on right before that so that it's you know it's continuous it's like they they've never they never you know they never they, they never really took their foot foot off the pedal in in a lot of ways well it seems like they can they've won in the sense that that's their job their job <laughs> is just working yeah. they're working musicians right right, right. They don't have other gigs when they aren't yeah. playing shows. They're practicing or doing stuff for soundtrack work. Or I think they also do pretty well in Europe too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, they have a very they have a they definitely have an international audience. Um, City Slang is a, is a you know very you know big label for indie bands in Europe. Um, that was you know that was a thing in the in the late '80s is that a lot of there was there were a couple of like. Uh, booking agents and labels that really kind of helped American indie rock bands um, get a foothold. And as a result, bands like Yola Tango, I mean, Yola Tango is obviously a pretty decent following over here um, in the States as well. But uh, Lamb Chop, who are very close with Yola Tango, have an enormous following in Europe that's definitely like 
kind of disproportionate to, to, to their following in the States. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. <laughs> Yellow, Yellow Tango around the world. You know, they play, they play in Japan. They play Asia every, every year or two. They've got, they've got a following over there as well. Like they, you know, they're, they're, they're global. What would you say? I guess we've talked a lot about why you want to listen to Yola Tango, what exactly makes them good in what sense um, that they've been, uh, you know, as in like why you would want to see them like a band like Fish because every show is different than the show that came before. But if you could just kind of sum it up briefly. I mean, if someone had to say, like, what do they sound like with like the elevator pitch? Oh, what do they sound like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, they, they sound like a adventurous rock band that's rooted in, you know, you know, the basic to me the kind of the basic vocabulary of of you know <laughs> rock <laughs> you know, the velvet underground and and bob dylan and the kinks and the beach boys and that kind of stuff but with sort of the in, indie rock i don't know <laughs> you know spa- spacious and spacious rock overlays you know they definitely have arty ambitions i yeah, ambitions is the wrong word they definitely have an arty side you know so it's not you know it's not just rock music it's you know something that it expands out i don't you know it's it's hard i i don't like throwing genres around of them you know and there's, there's there's definitely um there's definitely uh an improv aspect to yellow tango but it's not necessarily like a jamming aspect it's more there's just this general openness and i mean there's definitely they right. do a lot of um that's it, you know, they write their songs through largely through through collaborative improvisation that they eventually get sort of whittled down into into song form. Um but you know, one of the things that I that I value about them that I, you know, was one of the reasons that I go see them often, um is is they just have you know, they have an incredible sense of dynamics live. That they, you know, they can play really loud and they can play really quiet and they, you know, can play the whole lot of places in between that um but there is you know they have another part of the hanukkah thing and just sort of their their world in general that we haven't touched on is is the guests mm. that they play with which which does add a layer of of improvisation to, to to the live shows and that there's you know a lot of times improvising musicians who you know don't necessarily know the songs in the way that you know it's like a in the sense that it's like, oh, it's time to solo here, or here's where the bridge is. They're improv, you know, they're they're improvising along the way the way you would in in you know if you're just improvising, and they have just a range of those. Like, so I, I, I was before we started this, I was like looking over the list of the Hanukkah shows um, for Maxwell's and seeing, you know, like, oh, there was a whole set with like basically all of Tortoise sitting in and adding you know drones or, or or layers or textures and then there there's another another set several they they played with him a couple times but one in particular um blew my mind was with david mansfield yes. who who used to play with dylan a lot and is you know a, a, a session guy and and really like a sort of more country country-ish um you know they have you start to see some kind of patterns with the hanukkah shows and that night seven of eight i found is usually the most quiet contemplative night Often, and that was when David Mansfield he did one. I think I want to say it was 2011. He came out on night seven. Was that the show they played the song off of uh, Summer Sun? What's like the ambient jam? Let's be still. Is that the second song of the set? And they had yeah, like, so, yeah. Like David Mansfield from like Rolling Thunder Review 
Heaven's Gate, all that incredible Dylan stuff playing like violin is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Sun Ra Orchestra, you know, plays with it, plays with them a lot. So it's, you know, but then they also have these collaborators that are not improvisers that are more just like, what, what, what was that? <laughs> like, you know, last Hanukkah, they had uh, the Strange Loves come out or, you know, these New York songwriters who had a, you know, a couple of like garage hits in the, mm-hmm. in the sixties that are on the Nuggets compilation and were, you know, these Wait, legends. Wait, the, like three guys that, older guys that came out wearing the vests or Irish. Yeah. Like, it was like yeah. the first show in like 53 years. Yeah, but sort of, I mean, in the sense that, yes, that was their first show in, as the Strange Loves in like 53 years, but they were also like legendary music industry insiders and right. producers and songwriters, you know, who, who've, who've been, you know, <laughs> those guys have been around the block. <laughs> They've been around several blocks, <laughs> uh, but you know, who would think to invite them up? Really? <laughs> I have to be uh-huh. totally honest. When Ira came out and announced these guys, the first show in 53 years and described it, I thought it was going to be, I'll just say um, often with these Hanukkah shows is that they always, Yola Tango always has like comedians open up for them. So there's the, op- there's the opening band, there's the comedian, and then there's Yola Tango. And the comedians over the years, they've often drawn from the well of comedians of podcasts like David Cross, Eugene Merman, Todd Berry, like a certain type. John of- Glazer, John Benjamin, those are my, those are my faves. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, when Ira Kaplan says, like, all right, these guys are the first show in 53 years, and these guys came out wearing vests, I thought at first it was going to be like a John Glazer, John Benjamin joke. <laughs> nope, no. Like, they were going to do some improv. And then I went up on Wikipedia when I got home from the show. I'm like, oh, okay. This is our, these guys were a big deal. This is a pretty deep dive, but that's what Ira Kaplan does. Yeah, well, that's what you know. That's what all three of them do. You know, it's it's you know that's that's Georgia and James as as well as Ira. They're all, you know, they're all putting in the hours, like trying to trying to come up with ridiculous combinations and to, to and see see who says yes. You know, Graham Nash, another person who said yes this year, and and in very Latengo fashion, it's like only if, only if we only do Holly's songs <laughs> no Crosby souls and Nash you know no no teach the children yeah exactly only only, only like- bus bus stop only the best stuff <laughs> I think like everything you're saying and especially in terms of like the impact of guests on the show speaks to why it's really hard and like kind of useless to try to define them from a sonic standpoint because all of their they have such a wide range of inspiration and such a wide range of influences. And one of the things I've always loved about them is they're kind of testing out little bits and pieces of music as they evolve in their career. And one of the shows I saw with them, you speak also about like the dynamics of their show was um, on the fade tour Mm -hmm. and that tour, they were playing this very, quiet contemplative acoustic set before they started in the first set. Oh, right, yeah. and then they came out and they would just rock like crazy for set for set two and in the encore they were playing i saw them play time fades away and give me all your loving like back to back essentially um and like that whole like there's it's almost like i found whenever i go see them or whenever i listen to them it's like i've co- i've brought together all these different sounds of like different records that I like listening to. And it's all there in one band. 
And it's really hard to define what exactly they're trying to do based off of that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure they know what they're trying to do. <laughs> you know, I right. think they're trying, they're trying to, yeah, or, about the know, journey. just continuing to surprise themselves, you know, and, and make, make things feel, right. feel, feel fresh for themselves. Um, and that's, you know, I, like I said, I love their, their new stuff all the time. And I love that when they have a new album out and I go to see them, I know that I am going to hear predominantly new songs and that, and, and, you know, in, in recent years, they've, they've gotten, um, they've gotten into, into, into segueing a lot more. And it's, you know, it's not, we're not talking like, you know, necessarily like China rider level note, smooth segues like that, but there, there is kind of, uh, a, a, there, there is more active improv going on in their shows in the last four or five years, I guess. Um, where there, there is, I guess James, I think once described it as like, we, you know, we have a set list and we, you know, we, you know, we know what's coming next, but it's just like, and we know we've, you know, got to switch instruments or whatever, but it's just like, okay, see you there. <laughs> see you on the other side. And they just sort of, <laughs> sort of see what happens. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun. It's just, it's, you know, it, 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 you know, it tickles that set list happy part of my brain. And I know, you know, I know that that's part of their brains as well. You know, all, all three of them um, are serious, serious music fans that go out and see music really frequently, which is how, you know, that's how I really first ever met any of them was I was, I saw what was, uh, OO, IOO that, you know, the boredom, the boredom right. spinoff band with Yoshimi at the middle knitting factory, not the, 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 the Leonard street knitting factory, you know, standing in the, you know, there's Ira in the back of the room, hanging out, just watching, watching the band. And it's like, Oh yeah, you guys are just music heads. Um, you know, that, you know, that's, maybe how I would describe their sound is, you know, is what happens when music heads start a band. Um, hmm. And, you know, those, you know, the, the, the WFMU um, benefits every year and another aspect of that just, you know, the covers aspect in general, is just that they are, you know, they, they just know a lot of music between, between the three of them. Um, and that, that really comes out in the, the, their original songs and in their, and in their cover songs. They play cover songs, and they also cover themselves, which is to say that they'll take one song and they can play like three or four different versions of it. Right. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's that's. A, th thank you for bringing that up. That's a yeah. That's that's yeah. A bunch of songs have different arrangements. Um, I was you know they had there's a song or two that you know Dave Schram, that original guitarist, wrote and sang, and now Ira will occasionally sing those. It's it is it does go. Yeah, there there are variations like that which are which are great, and you know even some of the songs is like uh, from a Motel Six. There's a quiet version, a loud version, and then there's even like an extended version that occasionally, like once every, I as far as I can tell, once every few years gets to like twenty twenty five minutes long, you know, and it's wow. I I don't think I I've never seen that version live. I've only only found that one on 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 recordings um but it's it's there's it's it's crazy how how deep their their song list goes it's you know i've seen a lot of y'all tango shows and every every hanukkah they're you know every almost every time i see them there's something that's like oh wow 
cool. Um, and I think that, and I, you know, I can, I can say for a fact that that comes out of them being music fans and keeping track of what bands played and going to see bands multiple nights in a row. You know, that, that, that was something that, that blew my mind looking at Ira's music journalism was like a, it was like some report from like when Alex Chilton came through town at some point in the early eighties and played like, you know, four shows and four nights. And I think Ira went to, you know, wrote a column and it's like, he clearly went to all of the shows and, you know, was aware of what was being, you know, the set lists and what was, what was going on on that level. And that just continues that aspect of Yola Tango has never disappeared. You know, where can we find some of these Hanukkah shows. We know that <laughs> they're online. They gotta be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of them are on, on nyctaper.com, um, which are not, you know, they don't go all the way to the, the, the present, you know, the, like the albums are really the main way to consume yellow tango. And I think that, you know, the shows are out there for people who, you know, really want to find them. Um, there's stuff on BitTorrent sites. There's, you know, it's the things are floating around. But, you know, if, 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 if you're new to Yala Tango and, you know, you know the albums and you, you've started mucking into the B-sides and, and, and they're about, then, you know, the NYC Taper stuff is, is a great place to die. You know, that is, I, I, I went to all those shows, so I, I'm not even sure I've listened to all of them back since then, but there's just a complete, you know, that's, there must be 20 or 30 shows ready, ready to go if you, if you're ready to if you're ready to, to plunge in and you know, decades of, of stuff out in, in tape trading circles, um, it, you know, find the tapers. <laughs> say like the albums are really like the best way or most complete way to come to consume them um when they go to record a record because for me one thing i've loved about them is that like uh i think the first tape i ever heard was on the popular songs tour and they were playing here to fall like 15 20 minutes to open the show um but the albums are like this complete package and um i don't necessarily feel that way with fish um and i'm curious from your perspective what is it like when when yolo tango is approaching the studio are they approaching it as kind of like a live space like what is it that's like 
almost different in that standpoint that their albums really do stand out as really complete art pieces for them? Uh, I mean, I think it depends on the era, but really starting, I mean, starting kind of in the mid nineties, probably with painful and I can hear the heart beating as one. And definitely after that, um, they wrote their songs kind of in the studio. Uh, uh, and then nothing turned itself inside out is I think the first album were pretty, they, they went in with really not very many songs with, you know, chords and, and structures and things so much as kind of these ideas. So what you're hearing on the album really is, is improv that's then, mm. and, you know, or sort of ideas that are kind of half formed or that were half formed when they brought them in that they then shape into, into those songs. Um, I know, you know, they, they, most of the time they don't, the, I don't think the lyrics even get written until the studio. So there is that, the, the, the freshness to that, um, right. that I think contributes, contributes a lot. And they're, you know, they're the scale, a lot of, you know, that scale that they play at is, is, is intimate and is built for something smaller. Whereas, you know, with fish, you get the sense that, they're writing songs and they know that they're going to, these songs are going to get played in arenas and stadiums. And that's sort of the platform for, for fish. That's like, inevitably that's where they're going. There's no real like, Oh, here's a song we can play at a quiet acoustic gig or something like that. It's, it's just, they, that's just, that's who they are. You know, they're a stadium band or an arena band. Um, Whereas with Yellow Tango, this, the scale is just, you know, they don't, they don't have to think on those terms. Um, you know the bowery ballroom is you know kind of like the classic small club big big club small theater i don't know what you want to you know it's a ballroom um but there's a 500 seat indie rock club yeah minus the seats you know (laughs) but it's like um but a lot of the places that yola tango have played over the years and I, I really do think of this as as like a, a size barrier for bands, and I and I think something really happens at this level, where if you're in a room and you're hearing most of the drums directly from the drums, as opposed to like mic'd up and through the PA, like there's something something changes at that level, totally. where like viscerally, and Yola Tango play places bigger than than that level frequently but i think most of their career and definitely the way they think of themselves as a band is 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 below that level and i think that has a lot and i think that that comes out a lot in their 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 songwriting and the just the the volume that they're working at and the the dynamics that they're they're working with is that they're thinking about themselves as like a band in a room you know and and, and i also know they you know they make those albums and sometimes they have to go like learn those songs after they've made them you know it's like oh we made this and now we've got to figure out how to play it because it was you know <laughs> they also had a really good producer like the yeah. one guy on was it Roger Mutino? He's responsible yeah. for like the beautiful run in the nineties. And I think yeah. he produced every Yolo Tango album from Painful up through popular songs. He didn't produce his fade was John McIntyre. Yeah, Fade was John McIntyre, and then after that was was right. James. Yeah, no, uh, Roger. You know, I I I I've never I've emailed with him, but I've never really met met him. Just seemed like he was you know, absolutely the right person to be working with them and sort of very patient, you know, like, you know, so Yola Tengo, there's something, you know, something that, that 
is special about them is that they can be this very loud band and then Georgia can also sing very quietly in the midst of this very loud band or Ira can sing very quietly, you know, where it's like you you have squalling guitars and sort of whispered vocals. And I know that that was a real problem for them to try to like capture in the studio and convey that that's what they were trying to do. And I know, and Roger was, was able to do that. And that's, you know, you know, really captured them in a, in a, in a, in a warm, authentic way. He was also behind the boards for Slater Kinney's The Hot Rock for 1999, which is definitely the one Slater Kinney record that sounds the most like Yola Tango. (laughs) There's that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, but you know, James, great producer, great producer too, that guy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're constantly experimenting. And I, you know, I think, I think working with Roger, um, gave them probably a lot more confidence in, in making studio records than they had previous, previous to that where, you know, Yola Tango studio records were, you know, they don't fake, fake book sounds um, amazing and warm, but the, you know, the, the, you know, there's the other ones don't quite grab me sonically in that, in that same, in that same way where there's like, it's a space that I want to go to and revisit, which is, which I do feel about pretty much every Yola Tango record after, after painful. Yeah, the one before Painful, May I Sing With Me, has phenomenal songs. And a lot of those songs make up some staples of the live set. But the production is not very good. It's kind of got like a you know, teeny or early 90s. Like you hear the click sonically with Painful. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, they're... And it was the early nineties, you know, it said... Exactly. And it, but the thing is, you know, they're all, you also rec- listen to their records from the 80s. And it doesn't actually really sound like the eighties. You know, a lot of, you know, there, there are parts of it that sound like the eighties, but there are, but there are parts of it where it's like, you know, no gated drums. I know that was a, a thing on, on their early records, which, you know, is a huge defining sound of a lot of, of, you know, like eighties, eighties, the way Phil drums Collins. were recorded. Pardon? I said Phil Collins. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it's like, there, it, it's a way it's like they almost like knew what they didn't want to sound like before they knew what they wanted to sound like. And it was kind of a matter of like sort of working through, working through that until they were able to, you know, and musically production wise, it was, it's this very, it was so meticulous. And so, you know, not, not in a way that was like plotted or planned or something, but it's like, you know, just you know, you just creative. You know, it's creativity over over a long arc, and that's so, that's the thing that that I find absolutely just stunningly magical about Yellow Tango is that they were able to start at this place in the eighties where they're this garage cover band that it's you know it's like that's like okay yeah sure I could do that, but then just imperceptibly they they come to this point where it's like some you know they're writing songs like you know autumn sweater or or you know and making making albums like and then nothing turned itself inside out where it's just like no you, you know some random rando garage indie rock band can't just do that and like trying to find the moment that they turn from one from one into the other is is you know it's kind of fun to listen to. And then, but you know, the conclusion I, you know, eventually came to is just like, Oh yeah, they, they always were that band and they always were trying to be creative and they always were being creative. It was just, they got better at it. (laughs) You know, I think a conclusion we can come to is that if you listen to beyond the pond, you're not listening to Yola Tango, 
you're doing it wrong. <laughs> One of the only reasons we started this podcast was to just spread the gospel to Yola Tango about Yola Tango to fish fans. Because <laughs> right. if you like one, Jesus Christ, you're probably going to like the other. Frizzle, Dark Star Comes to Time. I've never heard that. Oh, Jesus, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> dude. Uh, it's, it's what it is. It's both of them playing guitar, and it's like an hour long. And uh, I don't think James – I don't think there are vocals on Dark Star – but James definitely sings the shit out of Comes a Time, and it's great. Oh, my God. And that's out there in the ether somewhere? Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's, oh, you know, it's, yeah. it's also in the, in the BitTorrent universe. It's fantastic. Uh, and when they did it live, um, uh, what the hell's that guy's name? Uh, Jim Woodring, uh, the, the cartoonist the, who, who does, um, what do you call it? I can't remember the character's name. Um, but did like a live not really a light show, but like he was, he was doing like a live illustration that was projected on a big screen behind them. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's some heady shit. It's, it's, a, it's like, a, you know, James is a fucking dope ass guitar player that can really improvise extremely well. And he doesn't get to do that, uh, in Yellow Tango that often. Uh, dump on the other hand, man, you should go see a live dump show sometime. Those are all segues those are all like guitar loops and and jams and segues that he's just sort of doing by himself where where do the dead fit in in terms of influences for yellow tango uh well uh are we uh, we're rolling again i assume that reaction was too good to, okay. to not roll with. <laughs> oh, so uh, so yeah <laughs> so uh ira was a dead fan in the 70s he saw them uh, a few times he saw them at roosevelt stadium and with the wall of sound, I think in 74 with his, um, and a, a couple times, uh, around that era and in, in the, the one drummer early seventies era. And he, I, you know, I think he, you know, he moved to New York and the, the punk scene kind of took off and, and I, you know, he didn't, um, keep seeing them live, but the dead are, you know, definitely part of, of, of Yola Tango, 
musical Cosmos. There's a you know Awake of the Flood reference on in Drug Test. Uh, they're they're their great song from President Yola Tengo. Listen to Awake uh, the Flood and I'm high. Yeah, uh, there's a uh, never confirmed that it's uh, actually if definitely a dead reference, but I'm pretty sure it is. There's uh, the lot in Shaker. Uh, walk me out in the walk me out in the morning new reference in there. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely Ira, well, well versed in in the deads in the dead stuff up up through the the mid to late seventies. Um, Georgia, not so much a dead fan, uh, but well balanced by uh, by young master James McNew, who is uh, I don't know what he I don't know when he got on the bus exactly, but he man that guy that guy knows his dead now too for sure. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, it's very much in the, in the vocabulary for at least two thirds of the band. I mean, the, the, the one we had talked about is uh, December 10th, 2012, uh, The Third Night of Hanukkah is a, a great one that's uh, on, on the NYC Taper site. That's uh, if people are looking to to explore. Um, it's got that that nice range of, uh, of dynamics, begins with a really quiet song with beautiful harmonies. Uh, most of the feelies come out at various points in the show. So there's a couple of really good guitar jams with Glenn Mercer on second guitar. Uh, both of the Feelys drummers come out, so there's kind of you get the triple percussion version of Yola Tango, um, which is which is great. Uh, yeah, that's something you know they they do uh, double drumming uh, a fair bit uh, during their during the Hanukkah stuff. They'll have a second drummer. Um, it doesn't have like a long crazy cover strewn encore, but it does have a six sister a jam with uh, with with Glenn and Bill from the from the from the Feelys. Um, but yeah, you know, but, but almost any, you know, almost really almost any Hanukkah show is a fine place to start. You know, if you're, you know, they're, they're out there, they're they're they sound great. There's like, you know, that is, you know, I'm sure something they're thinking about is that every show is meant to be kind of a complete package on its own that, that has, you know, big jams and guests and covers and probably a quiet song sung by Georgia and, you know, maybe something with a comedian or, you know, it's, you know, it's not exactly formulaic, but it's, it's dependable, I guess. And I, and, I, and there's a subtle, subtle difference between those two things. And I, I'm, I'm fond of, <laughs> fond of the dependable half of that equation. Well, it sounds like it, it shifts, correct me if I'm totally off base, but it sounds like it shifts a lot based on the tour. Um, like I know yeah. I saw them on the wheel of fortune tour and 
they actually they, they landed on sounds of the sounds of science and um i brought my wife to it who is not as much of a yola tango fan and um that was a kind of interminable hour or so for her yeah while i was standing there like can, oh can, my god i can't believe i'm seeing this <laughs> but <laughs> yeah i can see that and, and and you know they know they're very aware that not everybody likes every side of them right, right, but right. at the same time that but at the same time right, that's right. something another thing that i value about them is that they are rock and roll enough that they're not you know they're not going to try to please everybody the whole time and it's you know they they will do things that piss people off and kind of the point of the show is to challenge you a little bit yeah and you know it keeps them you know it keeps them alive and i i I like that aspect too like you know another um thing on the wheel tour was you know they were doing uh table readings of of comedy shows and i never got to see one of those and i've never even i've still never even heard a recording of one where they you know they did an episode of seinfeld it's like the chinese restaurant I did, episodes i think yeah <laughs> right and it would just maybe maybe didn't go over so well mm, you know? mm. i want to say that beyond the pongus rob mitch was at that show yeah i believe that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah that was that, that was a chicago show definitely the uh, the seinfeld one um i think actually part of i think that was actually floated around youtube and it was it was fun to watch if you like Yellow Tango and you like that episode of Seinfeld, but it you could but you could also like the audible groans and like the kind of just uncomfortable aspects within the crowd as the show went on was uh it was it was it was a tough watch. But, you know, but it was fun. I mean I'm glad they did. But it. you know but you know something but you know something fuck them. Right, it's right, great. Right. It's like <laughs> it's it it, it it you know it's it, 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 you know, there's like an art piece aspect to it. It's like, okay, this is this is our this is what we're gonna do, and we're gonna stick to it, and we're gonna do it. And it's like, you know, like the, the you know, if you're like a minimalist composer, you know, it's like in C. It's like, okay, we're doing this for an hour. That's the plan. And like, I I liked that that was a thing. <laughs> it was like, okay, it's uh, you know, obviously that bit of doing doing a table read hasn't. Exactly stuck around in Yola in Yola Tango set lists since then, but it, you know it's another another layer of sediment in there. And like I said earlier, <laughs> they do appreciate comedians and comedy, like the Hanukkah yeah. shows have yeah. comedians, and they've played shows with comedians, whether as sets or back musicians. Like I know they've done a bunch of stuff with John Glazer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Delocated Variety Show and the Music Hall. Yeah, Bird, oh, that was Bird great. <laughs> That was absurd. Yes, <laughs> that was amazing, actually. Um, but you know, but that you know, that's a, another thing to go along with this sort of you know notion of, of Yola Tango shows being sort of textured and diverse. I was I was looking at these the, these set lists before, and there was a night at Maxwell's where the opening act was Sil Johnson, like you know, kind of legendary soul musician from Chicago. You know, very rare New York appearance, kind of on his. You know, you know, I still wouldn't want you to call it a comeback, but something like a comeback. Um, and it was, it was mind blowing. It was mind bogglingly good seeing Sil Johnson at Maxwell's, followed immediately by John Glazer, uh, in this one-off character. Or I assume it was a one-off. I've never seen him <laughs> any evidence, and he did it again. Uh, Rabbi Attitude, yes, <laughs> which, oh my God, where he was, he came out of like a cutoff cut off button down shirt with fuck you written in, in <laughs> blue electrical tape over it and the yarmulke and improvise, you know, improvises this incredible 
set, or I think it's incredible. I am not going to attempt to recount it, but I, it's still legitimately one of the funniest things I've ever seen live and improvised. Like we're talking, you know, and, and that sense of kind of being in the moment and followed by, you know, incredible Yola Tango set. And it really is different to f- see a band after a comedian after than it is to see them after another opening band. Um, like if you've been standing there like laughing and kind of like letting your, letting your defenses down, you know, for, for the comedian, assuming they're a good comedian. Um, that's you're for me anyway, it's just like, a, it's a totally different kind of like elevation before the band comes out. Like it really, like I, I do feel like warm, warmed up in, in a, in a way that, that opening band, well, Yellow Tango opening bands or something different, but the way that a lot of opening bands, you know, make me feel. And on the topic of comedy, of comedy and rock and roll, somehow I think we've got into this whole conversation without once mentioning the condo fox. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 the, which, yeah, you know, which started off as another, like, random one-off, you know, it was a, a one-off show, basically, Um that they that they that they played doing doing garage covers. Um, shit, why am I spacing the name? I'm spacing the name of the bar that they were that they that it was played at. Um, uh, the Nor- the Norton. Uh, God damn it. Um, let me see if it's right handy. Hold on. No. Um, but yeah, no, it was a one off one off show to you know learning these you know garage garage rock covers. Where they ended up, like you know, putting out the rehearsal tape as as an album, and then it's sort of you know come up as kind of a repeating thing since then. Um, yeah, great great stuff to sort of another another persona. Not that they you know necessarily need a, another persona to play obscure garage rock covers, but <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> Based off the name was an obscure joke from the liner notes. If I could hear the harpoon, right, story. right, 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 right. That yeah, that were they they included a, a list of fake bands with fake albums in there, right. and, and the condo condo fucks a, a, among them. Um, Garage Rock Cheer for Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you know, then, then there then there are names, you know, in jokes um, inside. You know, the you know they all have like different different you know, names that they're credited to. It's, uh, well, I guess James is James McNew. Uh, there's, you know, kid, isn't there kid, kid condo is a reference to kid Congo powers. And then, uh, is Ira and then Georgia condo. There's a fish connection. Georgia condo is a reference to George condo. Who's the, uh, otherwise known as a, as a contemporary painter who 
painted the cover of uh, Story of the Ghost. Um, And uh, also Mm. in an incredible band called The Girls uh, from from Boston, different from the uh, yeah the late the uh, the wherever the other girls band was from, but a great great art punk band from Boston from the uh, uh, I think the late seventies. But George George Kondo is in them too. So (laughs) in jokes all the way down until you get to the music, and then the music is just awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's one of the best things about this band is you can go like fish you can listen to them on the surface or you can go as deep as you want to go right and the humor always kind of lingers there in a similar way but it's also you get into the music and a lot of it becomes really really serious stuff yeah so when we waste our listeners time and talking about this band all of our episodes this episode we can certainly turn to to sum up exactly as to why <laughs> that we continue this so Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've featured more like specific segments of our episodes to Yola Tango, uh, specifically their ambient uh, excursions, which will continue. This is no excuse for for those uh, missing. But um, I think it's I think it's awesome that we were able to dive as deep in here and um, get like a really big overview for for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, no, there's it's there. There's there's so much so much to discover and they're you know still out doing it and there'll be there'll be more to discover soon I'm sure. Thanks Jesse, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. Man. Talk to, talk about y'all tango any fucking day. <laughs> I said I could hit a 
knocking Who's a knocking on my chamber door That could have been a police That come take me for a ride ride Oh, but I haven't got the time time She's busy sucking on my tinsel Too busy sucking on my tinsel Now do it just like Sister Ray said for a midnight Oh, I couldn't hit a sideways Yeah, I couldn't hit a sideways Oh, just like Just like Just like Just like Just like
Osiris.